Well, we are grateful to be with you this morning. And as we reflect on Christ, let's just start in this, in this time of directed prayers, just personally taking some time to give thanks to him. Let's start this time of prayer giving thanks to our awesome God. God, you are an amazing God. You love us and desire to have a relationship with us. You're in complete control. And um, in a world that's filled with chaos and lives that experience chaos, God, you're still in control. And I'm grateful for that. And you are worthy of all praise. Thank you for the life that you've given each person that's in this room, God, that's abundant life in you. We praise you, God. Um, well, as you guys know, uh, schools have changed their plan tremendously in order to accommodate students and families and try to make the best plan possible for students to learn, but also for people to stay healthy. And so as we um, spend some time in prayer today, let's pray for students and educators as they are trying to adjust to a new way of learning and teaching through distance learning. And let's pray that schools will make the best choice for students. series that we're currently going through, we're learning about unlikely heroes, people that God's chosen to use in amazing ways because they were simply willing to obey, walk in obedience to him. And God desires for us to show unlikely kindness to other people, to those who seem unlikely. Let's pray that we will be obedient to what God is asking us to do just like the unlikely heroes we've been learning about. Pastor Jerry is going to come and share a word with us and continue the series on Unlikely Heroes. Let's pray that God would speak through Pastor Jerry powerfully and pray that we will have attentive hearts as we listen.
God, as Pastor Jerry comes up, I pray that we would have attentive hearts, that we wouldn't be distracted by anything that's going on in our lives or around us, but that we'd be able to solely set our minds on you and what you have to speak to each of our hearts, God, to that our minds would be transformed into yours and that we'd become like you today. I pray that we wouldn't leave this place unchanged, God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. Paul, well, I think that was Lauren's first time, right? Yeah. Thank you very much, Lauren. That was incredible. I think I've got Britt's cell phone here, so I'll hand it off to him. Appreciate uh, Lauren uh, stepping into that place. You know, the first time at anything public is pretty challenging. And uh, so just to think, Lauren, that you did that this morning and millions of people are watching on the live stream. That's <laughs> just incredible. I didn't want to tell you that beforehand, so I'll tell you afterwards, you know. Went around the world today, and it was awesome. Thank you so much for leading us. And we're going to have the children be dismissed at this time, fifth grade and under, right out here with the Harris's. Uh, if you would like for them to go to Bible Zone, fifth grade and under, right out this door to my right. <clears throat> you know, when the COVID virus first hit, a lot of grocery stores changed their hours. And one of them that changed in our neighborhood was Homeland, which we frequent. And I, uh, I frequent that store more than Sandra does, probably, uh, just because it's so convenient, just a few blocks from our house. And uh, one of the things that Homeland did, which I appreciated, is uh, the store opened at uh, 7 a.m. in the morning, and they created a safe zone from 7 to 8 for the most vulnerable people to come and shop in the morning for one hour. And I appreciated Homeland doing that. Well, I thought to myself recently, if Homeland can do that, we can do that. We can create a safer zone in our congregation for those who are the most vulnerable. So beginning next Sunday, August the 9th, that safer zone will be right over here on the east section of our church. It will be stationed off from up here with uh, ropes and stations all the way back to the back of the auditorium on that side over there so that all of those that are in our congregation that would like to attend who feel like they're the most vulnerable can have a safer zone over here. Now we could have just an earlier service with just those folks but I don't feel like that's what we should do at this point. And so we're going to do that next week. If you're one of those folks that feels that way, we're going to reserve that parking lot on the east side of the building for you. We're going to reserve the south doors for you so you can enter on this side. This will be a no children zone. We will actually have armed security guards to keep children out of that zone, both in the back and in the front. So you might not be able to see them being armed, but families just know that they are. And... Uh, and so, you know, this thing's not going to end next week or next month, or it's not going to end in three months or four months. It's going to be here with us. It's a new lifestyle for a while. And we want to do everything we can to be hospitable, uh, whether we're in our homes or whether we're here. And so uh, 
that's what we're going to do. So if you're over there and you're in the safest zone this morning and you don't want to be over there next week, you're going to have to move over to one of these other sections. And we'll be adding more rows in these two sections to accommodate those folks as well. Over here, all the rows will be extended to eight feet apart, and then we will have the chairs in twos, and they will all be eight feet apart. Now, if you have three in your family that you want to set a threesome, you can move one of the chairs over and be close to your family. And so we'll move that all the way back to the back for those who, uh, who are the most vulnerable. You say, well, who is that? Well, first of all, it's everyone that's age 60 and over yeah, it would qualify to be in that according to what we're being told. And then also, it would be those who have underlying health issues, and which puts you uh, in greater jeopardy from this virus. Now, I would also encourage you, one of my good friends, one of Tom's good friends, John Dwyer, got the virus. And John has serious underlying health issues, and he, he almost... Uh, died from those underlying health issues several times in the last five years, including a, a very terrible heart condition. He has a very weak heart. And uh, John is our age, my age. And uh, so anyway, uh, he got the virus, and I just saw posted on Facebook his story. And I want to encourage you to get a hold of his story because it's very important. He's got some things on there that all of us need to consider. And... Uh, and so anyway, I want you to read John Dwyer's story on Facebook and seriously consider what he says there uh, as he tells his story. Well, I hope that Scott and Renee are having a great time uh, up in the mountains of Colorado right now, and maybe they can see us online if they can. I uh, hope you're having a great time up there. Uh, they've gone camping with the Perkins. Now, it wasn't true camping because they had one of those camper trailers. And so, uh, you know, the, uh, the Perkins, uh, you remember I did a sermon one time on backsliding tent campers. <laughs> it's one of my most famous sermons. And uh, the, the Perkins are backslidden tent campers. And so they, they camp up close to Pagosa Springs where you have all these conveniences and everything, but you can still get them out. Well, the Sanders are, are taking their first camping trip up there, and I just hope they have a great time together. And I hope they come back strengthened in their marriage. So many times when you come back from camping, it's like you, you come back and it's not good. <laughs> and so I hope they come back strengthened in their ma marriage. Brandon and and Rachel are also off after they went to a conference last week uh, on uh, discipleship at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. Uh, they've went on, and they're spending a few days up in the Northwest, too. I would just encourage you guys, don't go into Portland right now. It's what I, downtown Portland right now, where there's a lot of things there that just aren't safe, right? And so, anyway, I hope they have a great time, too, and, and they're refreshed. Isn't it great to have Jack back up here this morning? leading us in worship and uh, thank you Jack for doing that and uh, leading us and encouraging us in the way that you did and so uh, we're very blessed to have the leadership that we have last week we learned why the Apostle Paul was an unlikely hero of the Christian faith and I listed all of the reasons why we should consider him an unlikely hero of the Christian faith 
And I'm not going to repeat those this morning. I would encourage you to go back, get the sermon notes off our website, and you can read those really quickly. Those key points is what made him an unlikely hero of our Christian faith. But something about him that made him a hero of the Christian faith we saw last week is that he was ready to die for the name of Jesus. We looked at the verse in Acts 21.13 where Paul said, For I am ready not only to be bound or imprisoned. He's talking about his freedom being totally limited. But he said, I'm also ready to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. One of the uh, illustrations I didn't get to last week, it was too good for me to pass over, and I didn't share it last Sunday, was this illustration that I saw about the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. In the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, one-third of the world's population was infected with the virus. And as a result of that virus and that flu, about 50 million people died in the world. If you want to know where we stand today, I just looked it up before I came into the auditorium. Today there have been 689,910 deaths due to the COVID-19 virus, uh, but there were 50 million. We haven't, isn't that incredible? Uh, there were 675,000 people who died in the United States from the Spanish flu virus in 1918 and 1919. Right now we stand at 157,935 deaths due to COVID-19. Now another thing that it really set apart the Spanish flu virus was who was the most vulnerable. Uh, the most vulnerable people in the Spanish flu virus were people that were younger than five years old. They were people that were aged 20 to 40. And they were people like myself that's 65 years and older. And so there were three groups of people, young children, five and under, adults 20 to 40, and then those adults 65 and older that were the most vulnerable. To say the least, if you had that many deaths, you would uh, understand that hospitals back in 1918 in the United States were completely, completely overwhelmed. And because the hospitals were overwhelmed, this is not a hospital, by the way. This is a public facility. Because hospitals were overwhelmed, many churches opened their buildings to care for the sick. So just imagine if our church was there here in 1918, and we had this pandemic. The hospitals were overwhelmed. They didn't have facilities. And our elders and trustees got together, and we decided we're going to open up this auditorium. To those people who have this virus. That's what churches in many parts of the country did. They opened up their facilities to care for those who were sick. But as you can imagine, with the hospitals being overwhelmed, there were not enough nurses to care for the sick. So you know what pastors did, right? Pastors called upon their parishioners to volunteer to minister to the sick in their buildings. Wow, you talk about creating a crisis of faith. We're just trying to encourage people to fulfill their mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ wherever you live. And it creates a crisis of faith with COVID-19. Just think about if you got a letter from me 
and it said to you, we're carrying for 200 people in our auditorium, or as many as we have in here, that have this deadly virus, and we need volunteers to come in here and care for them. You talk about a crisis of faith. We haven't experienced a crisis of faith in this situation like the church experienced in 1918. As a result of that appeal that went out to care for all of these sick people in the buildings, the public buildings, uh, lots, of, lots of Christians volunteered. And you know what happened? A number of them died. They died. It cost many Christians their lives. For example, in a Christian publication called The Gospel Advocate, it reported this. J.D. Northcutt, an evangelist from Tracy City, Tennessee, fell ill with influenza followed by pneumonia, and he died at the age of 43. And he had given almost continual attention to sufferers near him. Wow. There's a hero of faith right there, folks. J.D. Northcutt. I've never heard his name until I read it this week or week before last. Gave his life caring for the sick. God is using this current crisis of our faith to cause Christians across our nation to answer the question, am I ready to die for the name of Jesus? He was. Paul was. If you're ready to die for Jesus, you know what will happen? Once you've reached that place where you're just ready to die for Jesus, whatever that means, as far as what action you need to take that would be threatening to your life, the Holy Spirit will just guide you and how he wants you to fulfill your mission. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Now, if you're not ready to die, you're going to be bound by fear. And the Holy Spirit can't guide people that are bound by fear. He can't guide his children that are bound by fear. And so it's important that you come to that point and that place in your life where you really say to the Lord Jesus, you know, I want to be ready to die for you to fulfill the mission that you have for me. I think right now if the Holy Spirit would bless his church in our nation with that kind of willingness, a readiness, I think we would see a revival and spiritual awakening in the United States of America. But I think if that doesn't happen, I don't think that revival and spiritual awakening will happen either. So I want to encourage you. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul. Let's learn from J.D. Northcutt. What made them unlikely heroes of faith? Well, they were ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. This morning I want us to learn something else about Paul that made him an unlikely hero of our faith. And this is it. This is it. Here's the lesson. If you want to be an unlikely hero of faith, Paul loved all people. He loved all people. He loved all people regardless of their political stances. He loved, all, he loved Romans. <laughs> there couldn't be anybody further removed from uh, Paul's political sentiment than the Romans. And he loved the Romans. He loved people of all ethnic groups, of all races, of all colors. He loved 
all people. You know, it's natural to be willing to die for what we love. That's not unnatural. That's a natural thing. Even a person who does not know Jesus, who's not religious, even an atheist, for example, who doesn't even believe in God, they're willing to die for their children. That's not unusual. It's very natural because of our natural affections for certain people to be willing to die for them. It's natural for a friend to love another friend so much that they're willing to to die for them. If you see your friend out in the road and the car's coming your way, push them out of the way, sacrifice your own life, that's a natural thing to do for a friend to die for a friend. It's, It's natural for a soldier to die for his country. In fact, that's really what you commit yourself to do when you sign up to join our military. You demonstrate by signing up that you're willing to lay down your life for your country because you love your country. It's a supernatural work, not a natural work. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to love all people. That's a supernatural work. And to be willing to die for them. But that's the way Paul was. He was not only willing to die for the name of Jesus, he was willing to die for all people because he loved all people. Here's some examples. He was totally despised by his own people, his own race, his own nationality, the Jews. Totally, totally despised after he converted to following Jesus. But he loved them anyway. He just kept loving those who despised him. Those that called him all kinds of names. He just kept loving them. Now that's supernatural. And he was willing to die for them. In fact, at one point, he said in in the book of Romans, I believe it's written, that he would be accursed if it would save them, his own countrymen, who despised him. He loved all people. At the end of his life, while he was living in Rome, Paul was doing what? Yes, he was still preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, but if you read in Acts, you can read how he was still trying to reach his own people, the Jews who had rejected him, despised him, abandoned him. He was still trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's one example. Another example is that Paul was despised by the Gentiles, but he loved them anyway. And he he demonstrated that love because he kept trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our story this week in small group is from the 14th chapter of Acts. And it's a story of how Paul was on his missionary journey. And as he was journeying, he came to a place called Lystra. And while he was at Lystra, they performed some miracles. And the people of that city thought that that Paul and Barnabas were the incarnation of their gods. And they began to bring offerings and worship Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas said, don't do this. We're just ordinary people like you. And they continued to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ and point them to the only one God, the only living God. Well, 
it was creating a revival there. And so what the Jews did, they came from Antioch and Iconium, and they persuaded the multitudes that Paul and Barnabas and their companions were leading them astray. And as a result, you know what they did? A multitude of people rose up because of the influence of those Jews, and they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city because they thought he was dead. Well, the disciples his, that had been converted there in Lystra gathered around him, and they prayed for him. And you know what? He rose up. And then you know what he did? He went back to the city. That's what he did. He went back to the city. He loved those people in Lystra that stoned him, that abused him. Not only did he go back once, they left the city after a period of time. I think if I was in Lystra and I was one of those that had stoned him and dragged him off, and then all of a sudden I saw him in the city walking around, I'd been like, I'd been terrified if I was one of them. So he wasn't touched again in Lystra. He actually left Lystra and went to another city on his missionary. And he came back to Lystra again because he loved all people, even those who stoned him and left him for dead. Another example in Paul's life was just the churches that he established. If you read through the epistles of Paul, you can discover that there were times that the very churches that he founded turned on him. That there were false teachers who came into those churches and they began to lead the people astray and some of those churches turned on Paul. Now can you imagine? He invested his life, laid down his life to bring these folks that were not his nationality, they were of another nationality, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then after, he loved them, stayed with them, lived with them, worked with them, left them while he was gone. Oh, they forsook Paul, like the church at Corinth was about to do. You know what Paul did to the church at Corinth? He loved them anyway. He loved them anyway because he loved all people even those who abandoned him even those who abused him even those who betrayed him he loved him he loved them anyway now i want you to understand loving your child and dying for your child's a natural thing loving a friend and dying for a friend's a natural thing loving your country and being willing to die for your country, that's a natural thing. This is not natural. This is supernatural. Do you understand? This is supernatural. And if you're going to be unlikely hero of faith, you've got to have this supernatural love in you. So why did Paul love all people? Well, first of all, he loved all people because he, of his experience with Jesus. You know, the Bible says that all of us, because we're sin sinners, are enemies of God. And that there exists an enmity between us and God. We're in conflict with God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. 
and we have been treasonous and gone our own way, and we have thrown off his rules, we have thrown off God's commands, we'll say, no, we're going to do it our way. We know what you say about marriage, but no, we're going to do it our way. Oh, we know what you say about sex, but no, we're going to do it our way. Oh, we know what you say about money, we're going to do it our way. You see, every human being is born a sinner, a rebel against God. And we're all at enmity against God. Well, Paul was more than that. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Because not only was he just an ordinary sinner like all of us who's at enmity with God, but he actually persecuted the followers of Jesus. Now, he was, a, he was another step up. When it came to be an enemy of God. He stood by while Stephen, a follower of Jesus, was stoned to death. And Paul cheered those who were stoning him. He cheered them on. And not only that, he held their coats so that they would have more freedom to throw those stones and kill Stephen. That's the kind of enemy that Paul was of the church of Jesus Christ and when he was converted he was on a mission to Damascus which had been authorized by the Sanhedrin of the Jews in Jerusalem to arrest Christians and let me say something they didn't just want to arrest Christians they wanted to kill the most the best leaders of the Christian faith to try to stamp out this movement so he was an enemy of Jesus Christ but through the revelation of Jesus to him there on the road to Damascus, what did Paul realize? Well, he realized that even though he was an enemy, Jesus loved him. Can you imagine how overwhelming that must have been to Paul? That he would have thought that if Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, risen from the dead... He deserved to be killed by Jesus. But instead, what did Jesus do? Jesus loved all people and he loved Paul. He loved his mortal enemy. Paul was a mortal enemy of Jesus Christ. And Jesus loved him anyway. So Paul had this experience with Jesus. Jesus modeled for him what he wanted Paul to do to all people. He modeled for him that he wanted him to love all people and so Paul did that he loved all people because of his experience with Jesus another reason that Paul loved all people was his salvation through Jesus you see this wasn't natural to love all people Paul didn't love all people before he was converted I mean I'm sure that he would have laid down his life for certain friends he was certainly willing to lay down his life for this cause that he was doing to persecute Christians I think Paul would have laid down his life to defend his country against the Romans if he was called upon to do that but Paul did not love all people that didn't happen until he believed upon Jesus and received Jesus and then the supernatural work of love began in him Paul was changed why was he changed because he was no longer just Paul. He was Paul in whom Jesus lived. Paul was no longer just Paul. He was Paul, the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
When Paul believed upon Jesus, he received the spirit of Jesus, and that union of his spirit with the spirit of Jesus radically changed who Paul was as a human being. Paul said it like this. He said, when he was converted, the love of God for all people was shed abroad in his heart. Have you experienced that? The love of God, I mean for all people, because God loves the world, it says in John 3, 16, was shed abroad in his heart by his, the, the union of his spirit with the Holy Spirit. And as a result of that union, Paul became a new creation in Christ. He put it like this, my old man died. What I once was died. That person who was very limited in his love for people died. That person who loved all people was raised to life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, why did Paul love all people? Because of his commitment to follow Jesus. So he had this experience with Jesus, he had this salvation through Jesus, but he was also committed to follow Jesus. In other words, before he was converted, Paul was committed to follow the law of Moses. That's what he was committed to do. Now, I want you to understand the law of Moses is an incredible book of laws. I mean, there is nothing like it as far as in ancient history. There's nothing that compares to it in ancient history. It was far ahead of its time when it came to what justice was. And Paul was all about justice now. That's what he was all about before he was converted. He was all about justice is what he wanted to see. But after he was converted, Paul was all about love, not justice. Loving all people is what Paul was about. But he had to be committed to follow Jesus. He had to be. And so he made this commitment to follow Jesus. And as a result, he understood that he was to be a fisher of all people. Because Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men and so Paul understood he was supposed to be a fisher of all people he understood from Matthew 28 19 and 20 that his mission to make disciples for Jesus wasn't just to the Jews because in that commission in Matthew 28 18 through 20 Jesus commanded his disciples to take the gospel to Jerusalem to Judea, which is the land around Jerusalem, and then down from there to Samaria, which is north of Judea, and then to the ends of the earth, to all people. And so Paul made a commitment to follow Jesus. And he loved all people because he was a follower of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> Here we are today, and we have this example set before us, the Apostle Paul. And he loved all people, and it made him an unlikely hero of faith. So what are we going to do with that? Well, let me ask you this. Who are your enemies today? Now, for some of you, you would say, well, that's my wife. <laughs> or my husband. And I talk to people on a regular basis that that's their enemy 
I can tell that's their enemy by the way they talk about them. Okay? So for some of you today, it's someone very close to you. I want to talk more about that. But right now, the hot button right now in our society is your political enemies. Your political enemies. Your political enemies are those people that disagree with your political views. And you consider them a threat to your way of life. You know what Jesus told his disciples to do with their political enemies? He said things like this. They were radical things, but they were all about loving all people, including your political enemies. He said of a Roman soldier. Now, would you think that Roman soldier was not a political enemy of the Jews? If a Roman soldier slaps you on your cheek, just offer him your other cheek. Now, why would anybody do that? Because we're called by Jesus to love all people, even our political enemies. He said if a Roman soldier tells you to carry his equipment one mile, you're to go with him two. In other words, it was the Roman law that they could solicit the help of any, any person in Israel and say, carry my equipment for a mile. It was Roman law. But Jesus said if they come to you and ask you to carry that equipment one mile, go with him too. Why? Well, because anybody can carry it one. That's a natural thing. But go with him too? That's showing your love for all people, even the Roman soldier. Jesus modeled for his disciples what it meant to love their political enemies by serving a Roman centurion of all people. This was not only a Roman uh, soldier but he was a centurion he commanded other roman soldiers who were carrying out the will of the roman government on the people of israel and jesus modeled for his disciples what it meant to love their political enemy by serving a roman centurion and healing a member of his household in fact jesus demonstrated what it meant to love your political enemies by dining with tax collectors who were serving the Roman government and serving the purposes of the Roman government against the people of Israel. We need to understand that. And Jesus dined with them that were his political enemies. Jesus modeled for his disciples, and we've seen this the last two weeks, what it meant to love their political enemy by loving a Samaritan woman. You talk about racial problem. Jesus loved her. He loved her. And he told a, an attorney who was a Jew that if you want to uh, inherit eternal life, you better love him too. Well, we know that's not possible in the natural. That's only possible through re regeneration through the Holy Spirit. Jesus modeled for his disciples what it meant to love their political enemies by what he said on the cross. Who was he speaking to? Who heard him? Well, there were other people there that heard him, but the ones that heard him the clearest were Roman soldiers who crucified him. And what did he say to them? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he died for the sins of his political enemies as what? They cast lots for his clothing. Who are your political enemies that you need to love the way Jesus loved? that you need to love the way Paul loved 
Because if you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is leading you to love all people. All people. And then your personal enemies. You know who your personal enemies are? Well, sure you do. Your personal enemies are those people that violate you or have violated you. They devalue you in various ways. They dishonor you. They disrespect you. They take advantage of you. They misjudge you. They reject you. They verbally abuse you, perhaps. Maybe they even physically assault you, your personal enemies. Maybe they injure the people that you love, and you're tempted to take up an offense and seek vengeance upon them. Your personal enemies may be the members of your family. They may be your neighborhood. They may be people in your community. Your personal enemies may be many, uh, people in your school. Your personal enemies may be people on your team that you're a part of. Your personal enemies may be any member of any organization that you are a member. I mean, your personal enemies can come from anywhere, can't they? They can come from any part of our society, any group that you're a part of. Do you understand that Jesus loved his siblings, even though his siblings thought he had lost his mind, according to Mark 3.21? Even though his siblings mocked him at one point, that Jesus loved his siblings? Do you understand that Jesus loved his disciples, even though all his disciples abandoned him? After he served them for three and a half years, all of them abandoned him for a season. Jesus loved them anyway. Do you understand that Jesus loved his disciples, even though one of them we know overtly denied that he ever knew Jesus? What kind of loyalty is that? Do you understand that Jesus loved his disciples? All of them, including Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for Judas Iscariot. He died for all people because he loved all people. Jesus loved his own people, the Jews, even though they despised him, defamed him, arrested him, beat him, forsook him, and turned him over to the Romans to be executed. Now listen to me very closely. So many people today are calling for our society to love all people equally. And that's a good thing. But let me tell you where that starts, men. That starts with your wife. So many people are currently calling for our society to love all people equally, but they're failing to love the members of their own family. Now, I have a serious problem with that. You know, it's common for people to send me things, to read about different things, and I value those things that people send me. You know what the first thing I do is? I look up their personal history to find out about their family life. Because I'm going to listen to somebody, and they're going to have credibility about loving all people equally. I want to see if they love their wife. I mean, isn't it absolutely hypocritical to call for all people to love everyone equally and you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church men? Isn't it? Aren't you a hypocrite? Stop it. Shut your mouth until you learn to love your wife. 
that Christ loved the church. Don't you know that she despises you inwardly when she sees you calling for everyone to love each other equally and you don't even love her? I know of a man who has been speaking out overtly about injustice in his community. He's been speaking out about police brutality. And I know for a fact the fella has been hitting his wife. You hypocrite! Repent! Don't be a hypocrite any longer. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. I mean, you just don't understand how badly my wife treats me. It's easy to speak out about people out there like you're a, you know, a hero of some kind. But if you're not loving your wife, stop it. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to us, before you try to take the beam out of somebody else's eye, why don't you get that speck out of your own eye? Here's what I would say. If you're hitting your wife, you've got a beam in your eye. If you're verbally assaulting your wife, you've got a beam in your eye. You need to learn how to love your wife and love your kids. Love the other members of your family. Before we start talking about equality and economics, let's talk about helping the members of your own family economically. How about that? Take care of your family. You know, it's one of the things I greatly appreciate about the organization called the Church of Jesus Christ. My credibility to preach to you about loving all people, it starts with loving my wife. And you know what? I should be fired if I don't love my wife from my role and my position as a pastor. I should be absolutely fired if I don't love my children. No matter how they behave, no matter how they treat me, if I don't love my children as Christ would love them, I deserve to be fired from my job. I wish that would happen to all these political officials, government officials, all of these social justice leaders that are calling for society to love everyone equally. I wish they could all be fired if they're not loving the members of their own family. You see, that's where it all begins. It's easy to love people out in society and call for justice reform. That's easy to do. What's difficult is to love the people closest to you the way Christ wants us to love them. And I want you to understand something. That is not a natural thing. If you did not hear Jonathan and Darcel Wednesday night, shame on you. You know what makes them so strong? It's they love each other. They love each other. doesn't mean they like each other all the time. But they have learned through the power of the Holy Spirit to love each other. And we've been firsthand witnesses of that since 1990, of how they love each other. And not only that, they love their children. Not only do they love their children, they love the extended members of their family. They're constantly sacrificing themselves for their family. He's got credibility with me. A lot of these jokers have no credibility with me. I don't want to hear it. If you're not loving your wife, you're not loving your family, zip it. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. You need to be born again of the Spirit of God. That's what needs to happen. You need the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to start loving your wife, to start loving your husband. Or it's never going to happen. To start loving your siblings. 
You know, folks, the hardest people to love in my life were first my father, secondly, my brother, were the two hardest people to love in my life. Then Jesus saved me. And I loved them. I loved them. Now, they had freedom of will. I couldn't make them change, but I want you to know they both changed. Go talk to them. Why did you change? Hear their story. Can't hear my father's story, but he's got it in writing. It was all about seeing the grace of God in me for him, an alcoholic. Is what he wrote. That's what changed him. That's the power of the gospel. If we'll learn to love the way Jesus loved, the way Paul loved, man, we could become an unlikely hero of faith in someone else's life. But if you just depend upon your old natural affections, you're going to be guided by your feelings. Every time you get your feelings hurt, you're going to begin to whine. You're going to begin to groan. You're not going to love the way you need to love. You're going to go abuse yourself or someone else. You need Jesus, folks. It's the only way to love the way that God loves. Then we all together can make a difference, one person at a time. Oh, God will use certain people to change big portions of our society. But we all can be used of God to be an unlikely hero in someone's life, one person alive. So let me ask you as I close this. What needs to happen to you for you to love all people? Starting with your wife. Starting with your siblings. Starting with your children. Starting with your parents. You need to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Until you have that experience of realizing you're an absolute enemy of God. And look what God did for you through Jesus Christ. That's what touches your heart and creates within you a desire to repent, a desire to change. As you see what Jesus did for you, you need to experience the love of Jesus. You need to be saved by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, every day in my life, I get down on my face and I say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because it's only by the power of Christ in me that I can continue to love my wife, love my children, love my extended family, love the people of this world. You need the salvation through Jesus, and then you need to be committed to follow Jesus. If you'll surrender your life to follow Jesus after you've received Jesus, you know what Jesus will do? He'll continuously fill you with His Spirit. His spirit is the spirit of love for all people. It's what it is. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a partial thing. Love for some people. It's a love for all people. Because Jesus came because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus is what this world needs. We don't just need a better law in our society. The law rules strange sin. That's a good thing. We need the love of Jesus so that we can love all people like Jesus did and like Paul did. Pray with me this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to put up here a prayer for you to pray. 
tries to cover this message. This prayer does. And I want to ask you to pray it unto the Lord from your heart. If you're ready to really get this supernatural love, not that natural love and affection that you've been carrying around since you were born. Everybody has that. But this supernatural love that enables you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, to respect your husband is the way you manifest love for him. Ladies, you got to respect that man. That comes from the love of Christ. That doesn't come from natural affection and what he's done for you lately. That comes from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you need that, ladies. And then all the other people in your life that are going to offend you. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would move right now and the people that are right here listening to me in front of me and then those that are listening online. There's not a natural solution to what's needed in our world. It's only a supernatural solution of love for all people. Lord, would you do it? Let it start in our church family. Let it start in families in our church. Let it start in married couples in our church. Let it start in single adults who are not loving their parents the way they're supposed to. It's a supernatural work. Now, if you want it to start in you, look up at this prayer. And I'm just going to ask you, if you're ready, just pray it. Between you and the Lord. Just pray it. Lord Jesus, I've been your enemy. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Wow. I need your spirit living in me. Please come into me and change me into your image. I surrender my life to follow you. I am your disciple. Fill me with your spirit so that I can love all people like you do. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Bless this message. Let it go out and change the hearts of many people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Amen. How about that, 1117? How about that? Funny post on Facebook I saw this week. My sister, love her to death. She loves me to death. And she was encouraging one of her friends to listen to one of my messages from last week. And she sent her a note and put a comment underneath it for the whole world to see. He said she needed to listen to this message. And uh, she said, but it's rather long. And then she said, I think if the people of my church would leave Jerry's church if the messages were this long. I think, well, thanks a lot, sister. I mean, a lot of our folks already have. But anyway, 1117, how about that? All right, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, O oh God.
We praise you, Lord, that we have hope because of you. In the most difficult circumstances of life, Lord, in relationships that are very, very difficult, Lord, we have hope because of the presence of your Spirit that enables us to love supernaturally like you love. Thank you, Lord, that that's who we are because we're one with you. Lord, we can grow in that, but that's who we are. And that's who we'll be for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for that hope in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here.